like any little like thing would just upset me. And I was complaining a lot and I was coming home and I was just complaining about just anything and everything. My jeans feel a little tighter and that just really depressed me. And you know, I'm getting older, my knees hurt, everything is annoying and stressing me out. And as I was preparing for this, I started imagining what it must have been like for God to be watching me as I'm complaining and complaining. And God was like, well, you don't have to imagine that hard. Just remember how Meryl was looking at you when you were doing all that complaining. So I didn't have to imagine that hard to picture God like watching me complain. All I had to do was look at my wife and the look that she was giving me. And, um, you know, I was being... Uh, like negative, I was infecting uh, or infecting the atmosphere around me like in a bad way, like in a negative way, not in a good way, um, all the wrong ways. Um, you know, I was complaining about everything. And and then God's kind of like, while I was preparing this, um, I'll tell you what happened afterwards. I'm like leaving a lot of things for like the end. I'm kind of like jumping around. Um, as I was preparing this, God said, you know, what you're complaining a lot about is you're complaining about a lot of a lot of other like of other people. You're complaining about like why can't they do this and why can't they do that? And it was mostly at work, but keeping it real was also here at church. Right? Like just you know complaining about stuff and God was telling me and he talked he spoke to me through Meryl. He, he said he said, Why instead of complaining, why don't you just do it? Like stop complaining. And just do what you're supposed to do. Okay. It doesn't make sense now, but it'll make sense at the end. So let's go to James chapter 2. We're going to be reading out of the book of James today. James chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 1 through 4. So I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey. Um... Some of it might not make sense right at the beginning, but just follow along, and I promise that I'll tie it in all together at the end. Amen? Amen. Alright. So James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinction between uh, among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So, what James is talking about here is the political spirit, right? Jesus told us to be aware of the political spirit. The political spirit, the, what it does is, if you have no benefit to me, I want nothing to do with you. If I can't get something out of you, I want nothing to do with you. The more space in between you and I, the better. If you look poor, if you look kind of like, you know, trashy, if I, if I, you know, look through you, down through my nose type of thing, like, I don't want anything to do with you. That's the political spirit, right? The political spirit is you have nothing to offer me, so you, I can't gain anything from you, so therefore I want nothing to do with you. There's separation, right? That's the political spirit. Keep that in mind. Now let's go to, uh, still same chapter, but James, <coughs> sorry, uh, verse 12 and 13. So it's kind of, just scroll down. And So verse 12 says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And actually, sorry, um, let me read um, from verse 8. I didn't give that to Edwin, but I'm going to read verse 8 to 12 or to 13. Yeah, let's read from verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convinced by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who has said do not commit adultery 
has also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what James is talking about there is now the spirit of religious, the religious spirit, right? The religious spirit says, I believe this, this is what I stand on, whether I live by it or not, this is what I believe. And because you have trespassed against what I believe, and I am puffing up my chest, and this is where I stand, and since you have mistakes, and you have, you know, whatever, a criminal record, or if you have broken the law in a particular way, I also want nothing to do with you. So you have a political spirit that's looking um, to make people their favorites based on what it can get out of the person. And the religious spirit is pushing people away because they don't want to be associated with them, right? You have like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who didn't want to be associated with sinners. They didn't want to be associated with unclean people, the lepers and things like that. So you have the political spirit and then you have the religious spirit. And what James is saying here is that if you live by the law, the law that Moses introduced, if you break just one of those rules, you are a sinner, right? And then he says, if you favor people, then you are a sinner, you are transgressing. If you try to live by these things, you're gonna fail. You can't succeed. And he implores people, he's, he, here he's speaking to believers and he's speaking to Jewish, he's speaking to Israelite people, he's speaking to them and he's telling them, look, you want to live this way, but you can't. And then you want to separate yourself from people to show who you are, but that identity cannot stand. That identity does not survive the test of time. And so then James writes and he says, we live by the law of liberty. And so we, as a church, we as believers, we live by the law of liberty. It says, the Bible says that the law has been written in our hearts, right? And now we live by the law of liberty. And so to protect that liberty, James is calling us here to say, don't show favoritism. Don't pick one person over another just because you don't have anything in common with them. Just because you think, I don't really like that person. I can't really connect with that person you know or you say ah that person dresses a little weird i don't want to like talk to that person that person smells a little funny i don't want to go near that person right or that person has whatever and you separate yourself but we don't live like that we live by the law of liberty and the law of liberty actually calls us to embrace people no matter what who or where they're from or who they're who they are where they've been their past what they what sins they've committed what they've done everybody has the opportunity to be loved and embraced and more so than that everybody is being called to be embraced and to be loved everybody wants to be loved and to be embraced everybody has a need of a father Amen. and they and they want to be embraced so we're to do the opposite with those individuals. We're supposed to embrace them. We're supposed to love on them. We live by this law of liberty. So I have a question for you. And Pharaoh's making fun of me because of this question. You'll see why. Who, yeah, I was gonna say what, but who is the law of liberty? Who is the law of liberty? You can shout it out, please. Spirit? Anybody else? Jesus? Wrong. <laughs> You're gonna laugh. Liberty is Jesus. The law, when you think about it, I know this is a technicality, but the law enforces something greater than itself. Right? Or a law or something that is established enforces something greater than itself. So the law of liberty, you could say, is like the law of Jesus, the law of grace, right? You, you talk about the law of gravity, right? So you see it in force. So what I, when I was reading this, God actually told me, 
you are the law of liberty. Because you have been called to be ambassadors and representatives of Jesus. You have been called to enforce the law of liberty. Not to enforce the law of don't do this, don't touch that, judge that person, that person has nothing to offer you, separate yourself from that person. You've been called to enforce the law of liberty. You've been called to enforce Jesus on people. And that means that you love people, that you embrace them, that you don't cause separation between them just because they don't believe in what you believe in. But you come even closer and you enforce liberty. You enforce freedom. Amen? Amen. I was laughing today because uh, uh, one of my old coworkers, <laughs> he posted on, on Facebook, uh, he put, so let me get this straight. God wants me to allow him to save me from what he's gonna do to me. And I started laughing because it's so funny when we come at it with our mind, it's not a mind issue, it's a heart issue. He, he, I was just like giggling at that and I just thought it was funny, but I love the guy. Like I prayed for him and I've been there for him and stuff like that, but God is not coming here and being like, you better accept me or else. That's not what God does. God comes and he says, I love you. And whether we choose him or not, his, his love is always there for us. It's always on us. He's not, we're not asking him to save us from what he's going to do to us. He is not, he is not um, uh, merciless. He is a merciful God. And hell was not created for us. It was created for Satan. It was created for Lucifer. It wasn't created for us. So today, um, the message is called Spirit of Faith. Isn't that cool? So today's called Spirit of Faith. You have here the religious spirit and the political spirit. And I wrote this down for you, those of you taking notes. Today's kind of like a teaching. People driven by the spirit of faith are influential by their good works. A gift outside the grace of Jesus always works against the mission of the kingdom. And the mission of the kingdom is to make earth look like heaven. Remember Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So, James just laid this out, right? You live by the law, you have to follow the whole thing. If you don't, you're a transgressor. If you show partiality, you're a transgressor. You live by liberty. It is, it is obvious that how we approach people, how we come to people, how we apply ourselves to people, is the same way that life will be applied to us. The Bible says that, the Bible says not to be fooled. God cannot be mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. So how we approach people will often determine how people approach us and how life happens to us. And I love, I love James. Um, we were talking with Ponch yesterday and I was telling him, you know what, I, what I've started to do is uh, I'll read the letters from beginning to end. Because the chapter numbers and the Bible verse numbers were not added until later on, they're letters. When you read a letter, you don't just read like the middle of it. Like imagine somebody writing you a love letter and you read the end. Sincerely, I love you. That was an awesome letter. <laughs> there are letters. You gotta read like the whole thing. And so I love James here because in verse 13, he's like, mercy triumphs over judgment. And then in the very next sentence, he says, what use is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? <laughs> I love James. So imagine James, right? James must have been annoying. James must have been like me. He must have asked a bunch of questions. <laughs> so imagine James, right? He's like, yo, you over here, check it out. You guys are living by the law, right? Y'all living like in yesterday. Like that was him yesterday. Jesus came, right? Now we live by the law of liberty. There's no more like religiousness, no more political. Get rid of that, right? So all these people start accepting Jesus. And if you can imagine like a huge swing or pendulum, they start accepting Jesus, and what happens naturally to human beings when they realize, oh, dude, I'm free? Like, I don't, I can, like, I can do this and I can do that, right? What happens? <laughs> Swings the other way. 
And I love James because he's like, no, like, hey guys, like, you know, Jesus, law of liberty. And then people start accepting Christ and then it goes over here. And then what does he say? He says, if someone has faith but has no works, it's like, what is that? So then now you have people over here that are like, dude, James, like, we don't have to do anything, bro. Like, <laughs> like the law's gone, cuz, like, we don't have to, like, do anything. We can be free. Like, we can do whatever it is that we need to do. You know, I can party. I can, like, whatever's. I'm not saying all that stuff is bad, but, you know, like, you get what I mean? Like, it's the other extreme. And so I love James because he must have been, like, over here. Like, guys, we, we live by liberty. No, guys, you didn't understand what I was saying. And now he's like, over here, guys, it's not, no, it's not that. Like, James must have been annoying. People must have been like, oh, dude, there comes James, dude. Oh, man, now what? And James is like, no, guys, it's not the religious spirit. It's not the political spirit. It's not favoriting people. It's the law of liberty. It's not, it's not, it's not just idleness, sitting around and doing nothing. So let's keep reading. Amen. So let's read James chapter 2, verse 14 to 25. So James writes, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Let's start right there. We are saved by Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The word that is used there does not mean salvation. I want to make that clear, because then we start thinking that we have to do all these works in order to be saved. That's not true. We are saved when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Amen. When we say Jesus died and rose from the dead, I was a sinner, and now I'm not. So Jesus saved me. He redeemed me. I am holy. Right? What this is talking about is something different. So, verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Awesome. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, Faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Amen. I love that. You see that a man is justified by works, and not by faith alone. In that same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So what are works? Don't answer. Sometimes, like James is talking about here, we use the very grace that we have in our lives to excuse us from doing the very work that Jesus wants us to do. Amen. Sometimes we use grace to excuse us from working hard, from pressing into what God is doing, from striving. And the word striving is used in the Bible. In the New Testament, it's used like 18 times, I think, or something like that. The same Apostle Paul that taught us grace so wonderfully was in a war that cost him his life. He worked day and night. He even held a job at one point so he wouldn't be a burden to people. The same Paul that taught us that grace was in a war that whether we like it or not, the moment we accepted Jesus, we were enlisted into the war. So as I was reading this, God was saying, we do, know, we do ourselves no favor when we soften Bible verses. When we soften them so that we can like accept them and be okay with them. We do ourselves no favors. We don't build confidence in character when we say, oh, you know, like, 
it's that's not really what it means. Like we don't have to do anything, right? Like that's that extreme. That doesn't build character. It doesn't build confidence. But it does. It, it makes us weak and it makes us self entitled. Like you're not you're not entitled to anything. I heard a preacher say, "What you deserve is hell, but what we got was Jesus." So what are works? The other day, um, I went for a walk uh, at my job, and I walked outside, and um, right away God was like, what is worship? And I was like, just talking to him, I was like, well worship is this, and worship is that, and this is what worship means to me. And I just kept walking, and he was like, what is worship? And I just had a bunch of responses to him, and I was just talking to him and conversing with him, right? And the one response that he highlighted, I think the one that he liked the most, is I said, worship is the everyday response to what the Father is doing in heaven. Worship is bringing that onto earth by the Spirit of the living God that is upon us. That is worship. He was like, I like that. Because that is faith. And you believe me and you trust me. So in order, if that's worship, if that's faith, in order to respond, what do we have to do? Well, in order to respond to somebody, you have to be next to them. You can't be miles apart. You can't be distracted by your cell phone. You gotta look them in the eye. You gotta hear them. If it's your wife or your husband, you give them a kiss, you can taste them. You can smell them, it smells good. You listen to them, you can feel them. And is that not what God wants? Those very things? Is that not what the Father wants? So in order to worship, we have to set the Lord before us. We have to have communication and relationship with Him. I wrote this. We have set the Lord before us. Not to get a message. Not to get a worship set list. Not to get something out of God for our own personal benefit or gain. But so that we can learn more about Him. About what's available. And in turn, we become more like Him. The only way I know how to teach, how to preach, how to lead worship, how to play guitar, how to run a meeting, how to, how to cast vision, is to get into the quiet place and pray with God. That is how I preach, that is how I teach, and that is how I lead worship. We don't, when, when, when James says, how will you be saved if your faith has no works? If we wait until the very last minute to pray when, you know, stuff is going crazy and and then all of a sudden you want to learn how to pray for the sick. And all of a sudden you want to learn how to pray for your finances and stuff like that. You are praying out of despair and not out of peace. You are praying out of despair and not out of the rhythms of grace Amen. that God talks to us about. But if you go into the presence, and Mario's been talking about this and I love it because it just reiterates what he's been saying. If we go into the presence constantly, we can constantly be responding to him. We can constantly be showing people what he's like. I had a, a, a meeting with my supervisor yesterday, and it was very encouraging. Um, it was very encouraging. We were talking, and she said, uh, "She said, you know, um, we we're talking about work and how crazy it is and how crazy it's going to get again." And she's married; she's buying a house. And we we're talking, and she says, "You know, I admire the fact that you really fight for your family time; that you don't stay here late." as often as other people, that you go home. She's like, I admire that about you. She's like, like, I need to start doing that because I let my husband down in some areas. And in my head, I was like, dude, that's kingdom thinking right there. See, sometimes you don't even have to tell people like anything. We just have to model it because we get before the Father and we keep our priorities intact, right? We say, this is kingdom and I will live by this no matter what. And I told her, I was like, look, I was like, I was like, I have always put my priorities ahead of this job. I said, my priorities are my wife, my family, my time with her, and my relationship with God. 
That's my priority. I work, I have a job, that's great, I said. It's your responsibility, I told her, to tell me if that makes me a bad employee. Up until this point, I think we're good. I told her, and I think what you are being called into is to do the same thing. We need to fight for our family, to spend that time with them, to model what it's like to value family, because people don't value family no more. Their family becomes their career, their job, the amount of money they make, the amount of money they have, the amount of money they don't have, the amount of religious activities that they do. That becomes family, and that's not family. That's not kingdom. Family is kingdom. And so when we model that, people are watching you. You enforce the law of liberty. People are watching you. They might not tell you, but they're watching you. She didn't tell me, hey, you know, you're modeling Jesus in this aspect of valuing your family. She said, I'm watching you and I'm learning from you. And I didn't have to say one word to her. Isn't that awesome? Isn't God good that he would be so on you that people can observe him by looking at you? Good. So what are works? So Jesus is a model for it. Jesus is a model for what works are. He came to defeat the devil, to bring heaven on earth, but most importantly, he came to reveal the Father. Every time we get before God, to know him, to seek him, we become more like him. And in turn, we can properly reveal the Father to a people, to a planet, where the orphan spirit is running prominently, where people maybe come from broken homes, where people maybe didn't have a father or a mother, where maybe they didn't receive a touch of love growing up, or maybe they've been hurt by churches or they've been hurt by other people and stuff like that. So they, they have an identity that's not fulfilled. Everybody wants to be significant. Everybody wants to, to have meaning to somebody. Everybody wants to be valued and honored and celebrated. But this world is actually teaching the opposite. But when we get before God, we're able to model the Father. And the Bible verse says, unto us is born a son, unto us is born a father. Jesus, when it took a son to reveal the Father, because in order to be a father, you have to remain childlike. You have to know what it's like to be a son or a daughter, and that'll prepare you to be a good mother or father. Okay, I hope you guys understand. Jesus performed good works because he knew the Father. He only said and did what the Father was doing. And because of that, he knew what was available. The only thing is that we don't say, like, look at this work that Jesus did. We might say it sometimes, but what do we call it? We say, Jesus healed the sick, Jesus raised the dead, Jesus casted out demons, he healed the lepers, he helped the poor, he helped the born spirit, people worshipped him, and he loved on people, and he poured his heart onto people. We don't call it works, we call it those different things, right? We call them healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, that's what we call it. So what are works? Works are the doings, works are doing what the Father is doing. Works are miracles. That's what I learned after reading this chapter. Works are miracles. Let's read the last verse of James. James chapter 2, verse 26. It says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Works, if works are miracles, this is what I wrote down, and it was huge for me. It really impacted me. Miracles are the spirit of faith. Miracles, signs and wonders, bringing heaven to earth, are the spirit of faith. So back to my story about being negative and complaining a lot. You guys okay? You guys awake? Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
So I was complaining a lot, I was being negative, and I'm sitting in like, uh, if you've been to my house, I have that one chair, right? And Amara was sitting on the couch, and I was just complaining, I was like, I hate everybody. And she was like, why are you being so negative? And I was like, do you not see what is happening to me? She's like, you're always in a bad mood. Of course I'm always in a bad mood. You not see what I'm going through. She's like, but you're being negative. <laughs> and I was complaining about people at work and some here. <laughs> Hello, guys. If you're not getting each other mad from time to time, then you're not being real with each other. Meryl told me this. I think the problem is that you want people to be like you. I was like, oh, shot through the heart. <laughs> I was like, what did you just say? Because <laughs> that hurt. She's like, you want people to be just like you and do things just like you because if they don't do it just like you, it's not good enough. And that's your problem. And I was like, God, it's true. <laughs> you got to the root issue, but I love you. This is why I married you, girl. <laughs> and I was, and she spoke to me, and and you know, I want to say that it was all roses and rainbows after that, but I was still kind of in a bad mood. Um, and went to service, and I was kept chewing on what she had told me, just meditating on it. It stuck, <laughs> it impacted me. And on Monday, we were having practice and we were praying. I forget what Jesse said when he, when he was praying. And God said, um, you are a specific way because that's your gift and your ability. But when you want people to be that specific way, you're actually taking your gift and you're putting it outside of context. You're putting it outside because you're putting a demand on people when really you have the ability to do that so why don't you just do it? Why do you want other people to do what you were called to do? And so I was being negative because, you know, I'm starting to realize that like God has called, and I'm not being my chest or anything here, but I realized that God has called me and I can cast vision, that I can lead, that I can direct, that I can speak life into people. And we can all do that. But I'm noticing that specifically for me, and, and my wife has told me this, and a couple of you guys have told me this, that I can trailblaze, that I can that I can go up ahead and then and then be like, wow, and then come back and be like, hey guys, check this out, and take you guys through it. But what I was doing was I was like over like going like to learning new things, and I was like, why can't these people do it? And what God told me is, why don't you bring them on the journey? to learning how to do it. Because we all have gifts and we all have ability and we all have talents. I'm not saying that I'm better than you. I can't do what you can do. You are unique in your own way. I can't play the piano like Mibs can. I don't sound like an angel when I sing like Jesse. I don't know 60s and 70s rock and roll like my uncle does. Shout out to the uncle. But what I do know, I can do well. But when I put that expectation on somebody else, I work against the kingdom. And I work against what God is trying to do. And so as God is speaking to me, he's telling me all these things. And then yesterday was just confirmation when my supervisor says, what you're doing, I want to do that. And I'm just like, well, you just got to make your priorities clear to them and tell them that this is what you value and then just do it. When I preached about the tithe, it had been like a year, I think, of us, of Mara and I meditating on it, of us thinking about it. But sometimes Kevin is very fast. He learns something and he wants to apply it right away without taking people to the journey. So Kevin is learning about the tithe, and he's super excited, and he's like, I'm gonna tithe, and I'm gonna give all my money away. 
And he comes home and he tells his unsuspecting wife that he's gonna start typing, right? He starts telling her and, okay, I'll bring it back to first person. I start telling her and I'm like, boo, like, guess what? And like, let's partner with God for like 10% and that's a big amount of money and I'm the only one working right now, but let's have faith and let's just do it, right? And I'm all feeling the spirit and the spirit is on me and she starts crying and I'm like, Lord, my wife is feeling the spirit, this is amazing. <laughs> And I'm like, why are you crying? And I was expecting, because God is so good. She said, because I feel like you're making a decision without me. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I was wrong. So what I had to do was take her through the journey that I went on together. And I need you guys to take us on the journey you've gone on. Because I want to learn from you. And people out there, outside of these four walls, need to go on the journey of liberty, on the journey of Jesus. Amen. They want to learn. Come on. We're, we're examples. And some of us discredit ourselves, right? Mims, <laughs> David is such a good vocal teacher. And he'll encourage you and he'll be like, dude, you're getting it. Keep going, keep going. And he's encouraged me often when I'm like, dude, I sound like a crow that didn't sleep all night, that got ran over, that fell into the sewer, that a farmer pulled out of the dirt, and then punched in the face. <laughs> and he'll be like, no, dude, you sound good. <laughs> but that is a gift. Right? And then he starts telling, he starts encouraging me so I can stop downplaying my gift and I can come up here and lead worship and lead us into a journey. Right? If there is no David, there is no Kevin leading worship. If there is no Mario and Cynthia, I'm going to say it. There is no grace and love. Come on. If there is no mom and dad, there is no you. Whether they treated you right or not, the Bible still calls you to honor them. So God spoke to me and he said, believe me, believe in this, believe in the gift that I have given you. But when you take the gift out of the anointing or out of the presence of God, it becomes a burden and you start burdening other people. Your gift and your ability plus the presence of God produces miracles. It does. Often we say, seek God, not the miracle. That's actually wrong. Because if you read here, it says, Abraham believed God. I was about Isaac. Abraham reasoned God can raise the dead. He didn't say, I trust God. I believe in him. He said, I believe that the dead can be raised. I believe in miracles. They come from the Father anyways. So a lot of us have gifts and talents and abilities and we downplay them. Don't downplay them. Put them in the presence of God. And if you don't have miracles and signs and wonders happening around you, let's, let's face it. Most of us don't see miracles, signs, and wonders every day. Is it possible? Yes. How do we, do, how do we get there? Ask. Seek. Knock. And it will be given to you. So God spoke to me and he said, just keep pressing forward. If you want to stop being negative and so upset, it got so bad to the point where I was like, dude, I feel like my chest is like hurting, like being so negative. And I was like, stop. So God spoke to me and said, just keep going forward, keep pressing forward, keep trailblazing. And something that God has spoken to me and said, he said, he's giving me this, these two words, opening wells. Every time we use our gift and our talent to bless another person, we open a well or we bring them to a well. No matter where they're at, we don't come at, we don't come at them politically, we don't come at them religiously, we come at them with liberty, but we come at them with the truth and we open a well in that moment. And what that well does is it brings living water. And in that moment, it creates a period where that person can be honored and restored. 
The Samaritan woman was at the well, and Jesus came up to her. What did Jesus, Jesus had like all the gifts, right? Jesus comes up to her, and with his gifts, and with the presence, knowing what the Father wants to do, he comes up to a Samaritan woman who he's not supposed to be speaking to, who has about five husbands, and he doesn't soften the truth to her. He keeps it real. He says, can I have some water? And she's like, why are you talking to me? I'm paraphrasing. She, and then he's like, she's, she says about her husband, he's like, you're right. You don't have one husband, you have five. And in that moment, by the well, Jesus becomes living water and he honors her where she's at. And she becomes a great evangelist. She saves an entire city, and they ask Jesus to stay for two days, and they stay there for two days. He stays there for two days. He confronted her with the truth in love, and she became a great evangelist. When God disciplines us, it's not punishment, it's restoration. When we go into the presence, we become more like Him. I heard this cool story. Uh, you remember Mary? She brought a really expensive jar of perfume, right? Really expensive. And he poured it. She poured it over Jesus, and she washed his feet and kissed his feet and her hair. And she was worshiping him, and she was in the intimacy, in intimacy with him, just like how we are with him. And people were looking down at her. And Jesus, like, was like, what she's doing right now will be remembered forever. Right, But what we don't catch sometimes is that she was worshiping Jesus, right? And Jesus smells good, amen? And Jesus looks good, amen? And Jesus is appealing, amen? He's, she's washing his feet, she's washing his feet, and when she walks out of the room, she smells just like Jesus. When you go into the quiet place, you come out smelling just like Jesus. And when we do that, we're able to produce miracles. We're able to pray for people on the street. We're able to sing songs and lead worship and preach messages and teach. When we honor people, we're able to restore them and bring the truth to their lives. And it changes everything. What Meryl did for me that night was she honored me by the well. She reopened the well and was like, no, here, have some living water. This is the truth. This is what's going on. But have some living water. Let it, let it take its course and watch how it, how it changes everything. So I started the message by asking you, or by saying rather, God has said there is expansion coming for grace and love. Pray for people on the street. And I asked you, what have you done with that word? And what I'm not going to say is, let's pray for people on the street. I'm going to ask you to seek the Lord in private. So what is the spirit of faith? Miracles, signs, and wonders. Healing people, praying for the sick. When we went snowboarding recently with Carlos and Norma, we were uh, practicing on this little hill because we didn't want to like go up the mountain yet. We were nervous and <laughs> a little scared. And so we're about to get on the lift to go up the mountain to snowboard, and this kid is flying down the mountain, and he's screaming. And he turns around straight, and the snowboard clips. He goes flying, he does a flip, but not fully, and I just see his shoulder just go like this way. And I was like, oh, I did not need to see that right now, I'm about to go up there myself. And Meryl and Carlos like went up to him, and he was like, I think I broke my knee. And Carlos moved his leg, and he was like, no, it's actually my shoulder. I was like, how did you get from your knee to your shoulder? But he broke his collarbone. That was like at 10 in the morning. They had just started snowboarding. It was his first time snowboarding. I see him later on, like for lunch. We were in the cafeteria, and I saw him, and I was like, I'm going to go pray for the So I called Meryl, and I was like, let's go pray. Like a lot of times we question, is God really speaking to me? Is God really calling me to pray for this person? And the longer you take, the longer you 
question it, the less of the of the risk that you're taking, or it's like you're waiting to be made comfortable to take the risk that is uncomfortable, but you have the Holy Spirit who makes you comfortable. So we went up to him and I introduced myself and I was like, hey, Kevin, this is Meryl. She was a nurse that was helping you out there. What's your name? His name was Michael. I was like, can we pray for you? We prayed for him three times. It was like his arm was like in some, like a, a slim. And we start praying for him. His friends are looking at us like kind of laughing. We're praying for him. And I asked him, where was the pain? He's like, it's one to 10. I said, where's that? He's like five. I was like, let's pray again. Started praying again. I was like, where's the pain now? One to 10. He's like, actually like three. And I'm like, that's good. Let's pray one more time. So I prayed for him again. And I'm like, how do you feel now? He's like, actually, and he starts moving his arm. That's what God wants to do to you. Every day, whether you pray for the sick, or you're praying for, for someone mentally, or you're just modeling what Jesus is like, the spirit of faith is in you, it's upon you. Abraham believed God because of a miracle, because he could do a sign and a wonder, and it comes from the Father anyways. So we ask for those things. It's okay to ask for those things. It's okay to go after those things. Because they come from Him. Thank you for listening to the Grace and Love Podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. If you have a prayer request, we would love to hear from you. Please feel free to contact us. And if you're in the LA area, we would love to meet you. We have services Sundays at 2 p.m. and Fridays at 8 p.m. We are located at 1900 Medford Street. Montebello, California, 90640. Thanks again, and God bless you.